Roger Feinstein, a scammer, is the most entertaining of all. He's saying, and this is in in the mm. in our editions, in the in, in the Korean Talmud Bavli, it says there it says even a Talmud Chacham can benefit from it, because those notes, those images, those additional wording, even though maybe not going in depth of twenty pages of understanding some halachic concept, those are already by themselves have the power to expand your mind. Welcome back to the current podcast. Um, thank you for joining us. We have uh, a wonderful episode lined up for you today. We're joined by Rabbi uh, Meni Evan Yisrael, um, the son of Rav Steinsaltz, um, whose third Yatzeit, the third anniversary of his uh, passing, is coming up very shortly. Um, we sat with Meni to ask him to teach us the whole Torah standing on one leg. And so without further ado, here we go. We are delighted to be joined here at the current offices by our uh, dear friend, Rav Menachem Evan Yisrael. Uh, many, thank you so much for joining us, the direct executive director of the Steintel Center. Welcome to the current podcast. And can you teach us the Torah while standing on one leg? Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to be at the current headquarters in Jerusalem. And yes, of course, I can teach you the Torah in one, one feet. Absolutely. I mean, if I will stand up, it'll be more or less comfortable. But in general, the line is better to be an Apicorus than an Amaretz. That's the main line. The pursuit of knowledge in any way, shape, or form is something that is of utmost urgency and importance. What a person does with that knowledge is much less important. Some people might take the knowledge and become religious, and some people might take the knowledge and become heretics. But to know and to learn, that's, I think, the, ex- the, excess, the, the essence of learning Torah, just to learn. It's funny, yesterday I saw a conversation on Twitter, which usually that's what conversations <laughs> are. It was a very positive conversation. No, no hate or trolling. That's very rare. Yeah, which was, which was very bizarre. A, that was a shocking concept. But um, somebody said, I want to do a new fundraiser for the, the three weeks. You know, one of those things that you do. We'll do a mitzvah of the day and be kind to somebody else. And I added to that that you also have to learn Torah. The response was, which predicted, was Torah is one of the mitzvahs. Yes, it is and it isn't. Being nice to people, being kind to people, being caring about people, that's great. It's amazing. Doing God commandments, outstanding. Learning Torah is a separate league. And I think that's what we do here. And in some Torah is really the text of the Bible, the old-fashioned five books of Moses, and so on and so forth. But some of the Torah is thoughts, idea, concept that we can take something and make them real in our life. I think the biggest challenge of every Jewish educator, every Jewish rabbi, and it doesn't matter what domination, what place, and what setting is, how do you make people like the Torah? You know, there's a line in the Torah saying, Tamu re'u kitov Hashem. Come and see, come and view that God is good. 
or Tovahimi in Pazrav, you know, it's better than gold and, and, and goods and so on and so forth. That's very cute. But can we actually make it? If can somebody really enjoy, if you really enjoy doing this, life becomes much easier. And, if, and certainly enough, somebody asked me what I would do different if I was 18 again. So after I did the things I don't want to talk about, <laughs> I said, the thing that I regret the most is I literally, and it sounds like an old, an, an alter kake rabbi, I wish I would learn more. The, the gap that I have to overcome today, because I did not learn when I'm 18, and I see now the, the what's called the damages of age, the laziness of age, that you, you really have to overcome it. Just go and learn. Open a book. doesn't matter what it is. Really, it can be any, anything in the sphere. It's fine. Just pick something and learn. That is the entire time one leg. Learn. I mean, so you also, you brought up, I mean, my next question, uh, which is how can we make it more enticing? How can we make it easier for people to pick up and learn? As in, it is, we talk about how, you know, the, the, the Torah encompasses everything. There's a huge amount to learn out there. So what is it that can be done? What are you doing uh, to make Torah more accessible, easy to learn, more enjoyable to learn? Like what? So, so, I, so there are two things. There's the superficial things, which are extremely important. Um, just recently, you guys, Korean Publishing, just came out with the with the Megillas Esther in comics, right? This is superficial, not the essence, but the accessibility, the level of likeness. People had now attachment to biblical story. In a whole different level, which we did the same thing with the Haggadah, it's make people come and sit and learn. These cute little things, these sm small, superficial, external things do amazing, amazing, amazing uh, change. For example, what we did in, in, the, in the original English Talmud, which was, again, based on the original Steinzeit Talmud, we had images. So when we did the English Talmud, as we all know, Right, we did it in color. I think that is one of the main reason buying people buying the book, and the same thing applied to the Mishnah and the Rambam and the Chumash and everything we do. You have the pictures; people, that's what they enjoy. The fact that it's also cut to small section also helps. But the, the small aids around, I think, the major thing. The other thing what we try to do is we're trying to show people that it's not overbearing. Learning two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes a day is a positive thing in your day. Today, especially with all the modern terms like mindfulness and wellness, learning and concentrating ten minutes on your own personal growth of learning something have a major impact. Every doctor in the world today, every new age guy or girl will tell you the same thing. Take 10 minutes, contemplate, concentrate, meditate, which is all come to the same thing to learn. Our job is to say that our text, those ancient texts of old, that might be not always relevant to our life, is something that, if you learn it, will help you and guide you. One of the famous conversations everybody has today, now especially when you have kids, and they get to certain ages, is Shabbat usage of phone. Now, without getting to the halachic concept of it, which is really not my field, the idea of you telling your kids you have a day off, and also we tell ourselves we have a day mm -hmm. off on the phone and the digital world around us, have a ma major impact on our psyche. 
you know, people, families should have a, a race in the end of Shabbat. Who's the last one to open the phone? You know, how quickly from the moment Shabbat is over till you reach the phone? You know, do you kids open the phone before Havdalah was made? You know, or not? You know, that is something you do. And I think if we can find, and we can actually talk about it, be proud. Say, look, I'm learning Torah every day half an hour. My uncle, who was the head of Chabad in Paris, in France eventually, you know, he became, he was very successful. There was a certain point of time he had a thousand people working under him. Okay, and this is now, this is talking about 20 years ago. Now, of course, many more not working under him. He passed away. So he asked the Rebbe how much he has to learn a day. And the Rebbe is like, what do you mean? You have to learn at least an hour and a half every day. Something like that. Like, an hour. Mm. Like, but I'm busy. I'm working. I'm raising. Ah. And said, no, no, you understand. This is something we do. And when you make that concept that everybody does, I learn two minutes a day. I also learn 10 minutes a day. I learn five minutes a day. It's great. Now, one of the last tools that we, we do, and we do it in everywhere, is... Snippets. I upload every day small snippets of the Daily Rambam. Every day. Now, it's been my 79th day in a row doing it. Okay? I, I, it's a challenge because sometimes some things the Rambam say you cannot upload them. So we manipulate something around it, kind of, sort of, like something about the Rambam instead right. of something the Rambam said that day. Um, like these days is halachot of, halachot of uh, Nara Betula. Come on, what I'm going to say there? So I thought I got a quote from my father about the about the about the Rambam and used that instead, okay? But it's two minutes, right? And it's reached an average again. It doesn't reach a lot of people. It's just started it. Reach three, four hundred people every day. That's one minute of learning. That's it. That's all I'm asking. So imagine you do this in the morning, in the night, and this is changing your life. But if we talk about it, I think that's one of the one of the big deal. Yeah, I think that's the, the main keys together. Um, obviously, you mentioned your father there. How, to, to what extent did you find that this idea of priority of knowledge um, came about or you learned from, from your father of Steinsatz? Um, obviously, 100%. I mean, I, if I can give me to my own needs, I'll go play computer games all day. Um, <laughs> My father, again, my father's were very interesting human being. Besides the regular, you know, Rabbi Standard's greatness, so on and so forth. He had, every morning, what he learned on a regular schedule. It was Rambam, Mishnah, Tanakh, Midrash, Talmud, of course. And I think also a few other things. I just remember all of them. And it was on his breakfast table. My father knew to cook only two things. Coffee and hard-boiled eggs. That was the extent of his kitchen abilities. I think later in life he learned how to take uh, smoked salmon from the fridge. Everybody said, okay? But that was the thing, you know, you always saw him, like, Friday night, right? Friday night, what is my first notion Friday night? First, my first notion Friday night, especially in summer Friday nights, is the meal is over, whatever you feel about the meal, and then the bed is calling me. Right. I want to go to bed. Yeah. My father... A, will insist with us when we're young to read the Parsha. But forget about us. He will sit there and spend two, three hours reading Hasidic stories. That was his Friday night service, so to speak. Seven night. But, you know, you go up, every time you walk up, my father was holding a book. Even after his stroke, the most 
clear phenomena was him holding a book in his hand. He couldn't speak, but he could read. I mean, he went through, I think, thousands of novels. And last, last thing he did before he, he passed away was finishing doing a sermon Talmud. How do you know he did a sermon Talmud? We gave him the big Steinsaltz, you know, the old brown Steinsaltz. <laughs> and he went page by page. And he marked, he went through every picture, actually, and he marked every picture as reviewing it. So we know that's where he put his, you know, bookmark, where he went through entire shots before he passed away, last three months, maybe less. I don't know how long, the weeks of it. I'm saying, but that is something that you grew up with. But I think that, and again, I'm trying to do it for my kids. I'm failing miserably. But, but that's the idea, as we're talking about it. And I think, obviously, I'm a big fan of technology. You know, so you have an app, you have online, you can read, you can see, you can... There's thousands of good videos. I'm not talking about the crazy people. I'm talking about good videos that can give you almost any background you want. You have today Spotify. You can listen to anything you want. But you think to be an effort. I mean, in, in a sense, it's almost like the Hasidim won the war between Hasidim and Litvaks. There was a war. Who's allowed to learn? Hasidim won, but I think the limit of extended it. You know, it, it, now everybody can learn. But that's mean nobody learns. I mean, I, I, my, fa- my favorite conversation is, is about Dafyomi. I do Dafyomi once a week. Once a week I have a Chavruta. He does Dafyomi every day. He comes to me and we'll end Dafyomi together. Now, wherever he is, we learn. Now, it takes whatever it takes. We we'll do a daf, sometimes two, sometimes three. And I, and I realize that there's no way, there's absolutely no way that one can go through entire shots in the amount of time it takes. It, it, it should be, take four times more, five times more. And the question is, what is the benefit of doing dafyomi? So it's great, thank God, great for ourselves. We like people to do dafyomi as much <laughs> as we can. But in, in the truth is, in that sense, that's the reason, example, Mishnah, Rambam, Tanakh are easier. It's true that one of the father first designs was really to divide the part, divide the Talmud to sections. So really can do one section a day. But that's the idea. The idea is really to, let's put it that way. I now, maybe last three years, because my father passed away, I'm actually enjoying learning. I actually, when I learn, I actually enjoy it. Which, I don't have yet the words how to describe, how to transfer that feeling outside. But I think that's where we're heading. If you really enjoy something to learn, you can have, it become something you do. I think that's the catch. I mean, I don't mind. People told me, why don't you go through entire shots again? Said, because I hate certain parts I just didn't like. Didn't make anything for me. I like my six track dates. That's about what I do a year. I, you know, it's fun. It's entertaining. I, like, I, I love Sanhedrin. I think the amount of bizarre stories there and important stories I incredible. Marcus. And then you get to a track like Kavoda Zara that seemed like nobody edited <laughs> like, oops, we, we didn't really talk about this. And, you know, the fights between, even when you go on and you learn the fights between Rashi and his own grandkids, how to deal with the outside world. It's hysterical. I mean, you really read them like, how did they have coffee after that in the, <laughs> in the house, you know? Or they wine. had wine, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I mean, I really like what you said about sort of finding finding the thing that you enjoy um, and sort of honing in on that and, and your father sort of bringing in the picture. I, I can't remember if it was you that said this or, or Jason who sort of was the managing editor of... What was wrong? Managing editor. Managing editor of, of the, uh, yeah, of the uh, translation of the of the Karatama Bavli, saying that, you know, when people ask why why do we include pictures... You know, there are some of the, some odd pictures that are included in camel. In, yeah, like it's just you know camel, or the, I think there's one in in Dunk. the Chumash somewhere that it's like a picture of, of grass. water, yeah, yeah, grass. grass, yeah, water. Um, yeah. And the answer being that you know, well, first of all, there are people sometimes maybe you know they're not when when the Gemara talks about a donkey, maybe they don't know what a donkey is. You never know. Um, but also because like sometimes you just need a break and yeah. like you're learning something. And it's like oh, there's a picture of a donkey, and that's nice. You take a second to sort of reset. Absolutely. Um, I remember we we uh, we spoke with Rabbi uh, Ari Berman at the beginning of this uh, this series of the podcast, um, and after we finished recording, we were talking, and he was talking about there's like a conversation between Rav Soloveitchik and Rav Lechnasin, his son-in-law, um, that Rav Soloveitchik would often sort of take a break from learning and do something else, or, you know, play with the grandkids, whatever. Um, Rav Lechnasin was famous for just learning and learning, learning all the time, and the conversation was sort of like Rav Soloveitchik said, like sometimes I need time to digest after the meal. Um, and I feel like that was also true of your father, who Absolutely. was this massive, massive Talmud Chacham and has huge number of both published and unpublished works. Um, I mean, wh- how did that balance sort of come down to you as his son and how's that sort of filtered out as well through the Steinsart Center and everything that you do that it's not just about sticking your, your nose in the book and never looking up again. There are other things to... So I, I think that... I think there's two parts. First of all, the historical context of it. My father was a, v- a vivid reader of science fiction. I keep saying it's one of my best childhood memory and was a repetitive memory, so it's great. I didn't forget it. It's like, I-, I never slept well. All my life, I don't sleep well. One day, I'll figure out why. But I used to wake up like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, and my father was in the living room. Agmara was open. Clearly, it was Agmara in a science fiction book and his pipe attached. That was his break. Something can learn 20, 30, 50, an hour, an hour and a half, and then stop for two minutes. Two, when he would travel, right, for his uh, speeches, lectures, fundraising, whatever he did, people ask him, Rabbi, what would you like to do? And he's like, I would like to go to see the zoo. And he actually insists on that. I mean, I spend many hours with my father traveling around the world, both as a child and as an adult, and when I actually worked for him, in zoos. He actually liked them. So, so that's one. I mean, that was really clear. Two, I, I think that even in, in, even in, in our, our life, there need to be some way, the way you can really, in my, I agree here with Solveitchik wholeheartedly, that, you know, you have to take a break. And I also feel, again, no disrespect to Lichtenstein. I'll go there this way. I asked my father, my father told me once when I was very, when I just started working for him, that he will, throughout our job, he will give me all these excuses. Why not to do things? And his favorite excuse was, I don't have time. But he told me, the truth is, I have a lot of time. I can do what I do, whatever it is. I have, but it's a great excuse. Because people think you're very busy <laughs> and they're afraid to ask you. And it's never ending. Well, I look, I published so many books. I always have time. And he told me, anybody who told you doesn't have time, from my experience, that's what you told me, it's a lie. Everybody has time. The more you have time in your mind, the more you know how to 
clear your mind. Say, no, now I'm not connected to my work. Now I'm just going to sit down on the beach and enjoy myself properly. That is the way it's supposed to be. I, I think one of the examples for that is, is our sages. The reason we're saying that a lot of the sages, natural majority, one day I'll do the research on it, had jobs through the day, you know, Johan Sandlar and so on. So it's very famous. All kind of, all many of them. Even Buddha Nasi was a rich man. He was the head of was the Nasi mm-hmm. generation, but he, he had business. That was their running away. That was their way of saying, you know, I'm candle with the Torah all the time because I will be suffocated. Also, what I find, for example, I love walking. Right? So I walk from my office to your office. Right? It's a nice walk. It's 30-something minutes. So I go in Shabbat to the old city, right? I go to my shul in the old city, and there are 17 or 18 shuls on the way. I can stop and eat one of them, but I'm going to my shul. And I think that time gives you the breather. Also, it's time to think about things. You know, we... we and and I, again, also vis-a-vis the Steinle Center, we do things, not all of them are serious, a lot of the work we do is very serious, but some of the stuff we do is like, now we're doing, we're doing Perek Shira. Now, I have no idea where this book comes from. I have no idea why it's important. I, I never heard of it till my father passed it. Actually, my father wrote something about it. Like, why would I? Now you have to get an artist. That's sake, I can get an artist to do a book with my father. The artist's work costs much more <laughs> than the editing and translation of these lines. You know, it's one of those things. You need to have, in for lack of a better word, you need to have fun. Where I took my father, one of our, one of our last trips together was to France. Went to France, and we had a meeting together with somebody. I don't remember what even was was the context, but we had like three hours to kill. I asked my father, "What do you want to do? We can sit down in a coffee house or go to uh, one of the bookstores." Said, "No, no, no, the Louvre is over here." You know, so when the Louvre, and my fa- you know, a it was astonishing to know the the men, the men memory and and knowledge of this art and that art and what age and this age and mind blowing, literally mind blowing. But that was the idea. He did not. He did not have any concept of I have to work. I have to work. Otherwise, we'll, the world will die. No, he knew where to stop, and I think it's extremely important. Also, it's important for our kids. You know, because otherwise, there's the best excuse never to be with your kids. I have to work. I don't have time. Very busy. No, you have time. Really, we all have time. Spend the time. Enjoy it and be meaningful with your kids, with your friends, family. Um, you mentioned before the Passover Haggadah graphic novel and the Megillah Esther graphic novel, and you described them as superficial. So I might uh, reply to that and say that, you know, on the page in both of those, there's lots of levels of meaning and bringing in Tanakh scholarship and archaeology and the aesthetic importance there. Um, How how would you respond to people that say, I mean, this goes back way to the original Steintal stuff where the Surah Haddaf was changed. How do you respond to people that say, you know, all these aesthetics that are so important to Steintal Center and have always been part of that. How would you respond to people that say that those are superficial? I will absolutely say if I had the money and the ability, I will make the entire Talmud in comics. This is the absolute response. We need to meet the, the readers where they are at. Not the other way around. Yes, the, I'm sure, thank God to the state of Israel, the biggest holder of Talmud Torah in the world, 
that we're going to always have yeshivas who learn Torah all day long, learn Gemara in the old-fashioned way with, with censored Gemaras and whatever they want. I'm sure there'll be a group of people and they will protect us to the degree. Okay, that said, our job is to meet people where they are at. And, and if I could, and I would love to do it one day, and have not the entire Mishnah, but have one chapter for each tractate, one chapter, or one Mishnah of every chapter, being in a full comics, like you guys doing now with the Bible, absolutely. I had, I had the pleasure, or I, again, I, maybe be, to see one of our competition, not our Bible, one of the, you know, the nations of the world's Bible. I'm telling you, it, it's flooring you. It, it, it's flooring you, I mean, the quality of art. You know, and, and I'm t- again, I don't know who's picking it up because I think the books are just too expensive, they're thick and big, but if you have a comics every week, something comes out, unbelievable. Again, if I look on the effort, because it's easier to see, the effort of, again, Lubavitch in 1920s, there's comics already, maybe 1940s, I mean, like very early. Comics is the key, art is the key, pictures are the key. Even the idea of separating the, the you know, the, the changing Surah Sadaf to a much more spread out vision, that was the point of it, is the superficial, artificial things that make us what we are. I mean, Israel is the best example for that. How do you know somebody vote for? Look at the color of his yarmulke. <laughs> you know, that, that's what we do the best. You know, it comes to synagogue, you know, by the first tune, which political view, what religious level they are at, you know, you know all of this. And but that's the key. But do you think superficiality is like Achila or Bidiyavad? Like you're saying, are you saying I, that's what we have to do because that's how people are today? Or, but actually, is there like a... Again, maybe superficial is, is the wrong word here. It's artificial. It's learning aids. Yes, like Achila. My father told people, my job was to simplify things. The reason my father, beginning, beginning stages, would put a Nikud in. He said, why a Talmud Chacham have to break his teeth about how to say a word? Lama, what, what is the gain here? Yeah. You know, it, it's like you're insisting, you're taking a kid and you're insisting that he will read James Joyce Ulysses. Now, some people love the book. Not, I'm not a big fan. And, and I, learned, I read it from a very young age. Um, why, to learn, why, why to force somebody to do that? It's like, not because something is holy in his old format, and we have to keep it in that way. Let's be creative. Look, look even in our Chumash, our Moses Chumash. Right, we now about to start Chumash Dvarim this week, right, which is the parsha before the nine of Av, before usually before Tisha B'Av. Moshe Rabbeinu spent the whole book explaining the other four. He gives the people, and that's where I read it. He's read on the other four books. Because he already knew that people, yeah, why to struggle? If I can give you the help to move mm. forward, and then you can run. I'm just imagining if my teacher in fourth grade who taught me Gemara the first time in Chorev, I think it was fourth grade, if he will have the courage to teach the first time to teach Gemara with comics, 
with uh, with visual aids, with superficial and artificial stuff. Imagine, just imagine you will have each element cello. That's the first thing you learn, right? So you imagine you have really a pile of gold coins <laughs> or a pile of tomatoes or, or you know, pomegranates. Fig cakes. Fruit cake, whatever it is, you know, and you make that, make that part of the learning. It's unbelievable. It's like... It's almost like the old traditional Haredi world one, because you know when they teach alphabet, right? The first time you teach alphabet, you made a cake, or you put honey on the words, and the kid licked it. He had a 3D experience on the spot. So whatever we can use to make people like the text, love the text, and learn the text, it's our responsibility to do so. Right. I mean, the. The Steinsalz Talmud, the current Talmud, Bavli, whatever, they're not, they're not beginner's books. They're no. not like the easy reader. They're not, I mean, so, okay, so why should a Talmud Chacham have to break his teeth trying to figure out how to pronounce a word, like to find that's legitimate? But what does the current Talmud, Bavli, what does the Steinsalz Chumash, what do those things have to offer to somebody who is more experienced? As in, there's also, I mean, the argument to say that, like, you know, they, the, the notes and the things, they're very, very good and they are very helpful, but they're very, they, they're very superficial. They don't go into the depth of an argument. They just sort of explain what's happening on the page. Why is that, quote unquote, better than, you know, extensive footnotes and, uh, you know, looking from, looking religious? And you, t- you know, your Torah on one leg was it's better to be a heretic than... And I'm hired. Right. So why do you have to be an heretic? Is that fine. Right. <laughs> it's not, yeah, it's not uh, you should so, be a heretic. So I always quote one of the first people who gave my father uh, Haskama was Reb Moshe Feinstein. And Moshe Feinstein, Haskama, is the most entertaining of all. He's saying, and this is in, in, the, mm. in our editions, in the in, in the Quran Talmud Bavli, it says there it says even a Talmud Chacham can benefit from it, because those notes, those images, those additional wording, even though maybe not going as depth of twenty pages of understanding some halachic concept, those are already by themselves have the power to expand your mind. True, some of the pictures are. A bit odd in the camel number twenty-seven camel in the bio, in the Talmud is a bit bizarre, but I found that the notes that we did choose to to bring in in Hebrew or in English, you can spend hours on learning each one of them. It's true they're not as excessive as, as other people on the market, but again, as I said, most people most people are not meant to do so. If, if I may, I think one of the biggest differences between our text to others, and this is not a matter of disrespect, if you learn Steinsaltz, in two, three years, you learn how to learn by yourself. Because Rabbi Steinsaltz's mission in life when he came to teach was, one, I create a teacher in your pocket. It's your pocket. It's a key thing. Two, it's the old famous soup and spoon. I'm not spoon feeding you. I'm giving you a spoon, I'm giving you the soup. 
the actual final action of taking the, the spoon and moving it to your mouth, that's up to you. I mean, I'll bring, I'll bring Muhammad to the mountain, so to speak, but I'm not going to push him up the hill. This is, you have to go by yourself. And I think that's one of the biggest differences. I asked my father once I got the job, being the CEO, what's the big deal, man? <laughs> you know, many people do commentaries. I mean, talk about it. I think there's 16 different versions of Talmud today. Maybe more. If you're putting all the different uh, curriculums, you have hundreds of them. So he said, you don't understand. The big deal was always one thing. We make a line. You have thousands of commentaries. And I managed to do, he didn't say I. He did not like to use this word. But the concept is, what Stanley's method is, is to make one line from all those commentary, one line, and sometimes this line will debate itself eventually by the ideas that give you one cohesive concept of learning that is giving you the easiest access to the text. Now, you have to spend the time learning. However, I think even Talmud HaChachamim, people will learn, and they start to figure out why we choose why we choose. That can give them hours of hours of learning even when we have this which people sometimes like or don't like is the where is the where, what is the root of that word in greek or syrian and you realize that the, even sometimes rashi rashi give explanations and i don't understand these words so i'll explain it in french now if rashi didn't know it apparently understanding what's the key where does the word come from is extremely important i learn now i'm now at the end of sanhedrin and i'm doing also the hand beginning of Avodah Zara. <laughs> there are thousands of words there that nobody bothered to explain. Rashi knew them. I don't know Rashi knew them. I try to figure out where Rashi knew them. All Agadita, all kind of more maybe light stuff, mm-hmm. but the words are hard. So what do you do? So, oh, I, I will skip. Okay. <laughs> it's not a solution. The solution is to learn those words and try to have meaning. And the third thing I will say, in the end of the day, when somebody actually learn and he's enjoying it. Almost not important what aids, what materials he's using to aid him. Because when he has a communication with the text, it's a direct communication. He leaves the text. He or she, you know, they are profoundly almost hugging the text. They're completely intertwined with the text. So it can be thousand pictures, but they're just part of the, of the show. One last note about it is, when I hear my father learn, and there's some of this recording available when he actually taught publicly, it's Talmud. From his perspective, Abaya and Rava are front of him. And when he, talk, when he talks about Abaya and Rava, it's not Abaya and Rava in particular tractate. It's Abaya and Rava globally. Mm-hmm. You're like, ah, oh, this is Abaya way, this is Rava way. And that is something that somebody who learns the Talmud gets very, very quickly. The reference to the sages and the scholars is global. And once you learn that, yeah, as much help as you can get in a mass, that's the way. I want to talk about heresy a little bit. Um, <laughs> um, just that, uh, um, obviously, maybe not all of our listeners, not all of our readers, uh, from some of those people that are uh, often seem to be watching what we're doing here at Koran might not necessarily agree with the sentiment of uh, 
heresy being uh, better than uh, being an Amaretz. But um, what I'm curious to ask about is, you mentioned that I guess this picture now in our heads that we have of of your father late learning up late on a Friday night Hasidic stories. Yeah. And to me, like the the maybe I got this wrong, but almost like the Hasidic tradition of like the Pintalayid, like someone who's kind of doesn't have so much learning, you know, whistles and shawl or says the Aleph base as they're davening, surely that leans more towards that actually it's better to be an Amaris than to be an Abikaris. So how, how does it all come together for you? Um, again, I presume these same peoples have different jobs. Our job was to fight the notion of amaret, so ignoramity. Ignoramity, yeah. The, the biggest enemies of the Jewish people and Judaism and humanity are people who are ignorant. And we see it everywhere. In every news media and every public comment, somebody, if it's an actor or actress or an important person, a noble lord or a rabbi or or Knesset, make a statement and you like, this is Amartes, right? So you don't call it Amartes, but it's really, the word is maybe stupidity. And our job, was, was the, again, the job I have is to fight that. Now, the point is that what we're trying to do is that even the two and a half minutes or three minutes a day or four minutes a day, you get out of that stage. You know something. As a famous Hasidic story goes, if you know to teach alphabet, you teach alphabet. Famous story about the Baal Shanta. Baal Shanta had a dream to go to the land of Israel. That was his dream. And every time he tried to cross a border, something happened. Finally, he managed to get on a boat. Now, the boat didn't, it was not getting you to Israel. It was way before, some river or something. And immediately when you go on the boat, he forgets everything. All his powers are gone. And he's sitting there. He knows that he's imp- he knows that he has the knowledge, but he can't access it. So he called his students. I think Rabbi Yosef uh, Yaakov from Polana, and he said, "You remember anything?" He said, "I don't remember anything. I remember, I remember alphabet." He said, "Say alphabet." Now the Balshandov had a very powerful emotional ability. But the way he prayed, the way he learned. So he said, "Aleph with all the power and energy." And that slowly that. Reciting it, even just the alphabet, changed his perspective and then went back home because apparently it was not his job to go to the land of Israel. But that's the idea. You know something, you teach it. You know something, you learn it. You something, you bring it. What we do here, this is us, that's what the cooperation is. We bring books that maybe they're not my favorite, but we will bring them because somebody might grab a line from them, two lines. But to sit at home and not do anything, that is, in Jewish terms, close to criminal. I'm an artist, is not a solution. I would like to read those stories about the kid who's whistling and the kid who's saying alphabet. That's exactly the opposite. That is what they knew. And that was their key to get out of being an Amart. And, you know, they, nobody tells the story what happened after. Obviously, the, immediately after the, the kid whistled or the kid who say kukuriku, Comes in, the rabbi, which is the Baal Shem Tov, whatever it is, took him and taught him. Yeah. They made a mensch out of him. We, we know people don't talk about it, but Seina Reina was a book the Jewish women read. That was in generation that women were not allowed to touch text. And we already had a text 
again, designed for women, was lighter in mind, but that's what we did because everybody had to learn. Most Jews throughout history, and one of the reasons we had hate attached to us or was because we we're more knowledgeable. I mean, throughout history, that's what we did. We wrote letters for the nobles. You know, I think. In general, yeah, that's why that's what me my, my response. And that Amaratus extends to the secular world as well, right? As, in, as well, one of the, I mean, one of the key differences between the Shnayzat Talmud of the Quran Talmud Bavli compared to other uh, commentaries or translations is that it incorporates. Uh, scientific knowledge, it incorporates archaeological knowledge, zoological knowledge, whatever it is that where there's a um, difficult passage in the Gemara that for hundreds of years was interpreted as mystical, mm -hmm. your father would say, well, actually, no, we know now. Like, so it's like with Maya Makaronim, for example, where it talks right. about that, so it's like there's some sort of uh, evil that, that creeps into your hands. Well, you, your father would say, well, no, like the preservatives on the food were dangerous to put in your eyes, and so that's why you wash your hands after a meal. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely to be extended to everybody. Our goal is to prove the world that the knowledge that we have embedded in the Torah and the knowledge of God, knowledge of Torah, is for everybody. It doesn't matter what yarmulke you're wearing or you're not yarmulke you're not wearing at all. We want that people, that the argument will be around Torah. We want people that the, the fighting even about the political situation will be based on Torah lines. And listen, but the Torah said this, Torah said that. That we would like them to to use that as reference, not just the books on democracy by Churchill. You know, with the respect attached to it. You know, we want them to quote our stories about the emotions and text and not just Shakespeare, the merchant of Venice. You know, we want you know, we have those things. We want them to be the source. And I think part of the, I'll have to say crime, I'm not sure it's the right word, part of the huge problem of, of the world is that everybody wants to own a piece of knowledge. It's only his, and nobody can share it. And it's only for the top, top, top people. We try to do the opposite. And I think back to Hasidic concept. I don't want to be Amarts. I want the ability. We don't want to keep you as Amarts and like, let's say, the blessing together. No, you have to know this. This is your knowledge. My father says always that he gave the keys to Jewish knowledge to the people. But if they don't want to take the box full of gold, diamonds and gold, what can he do? I mean, we, that's what we're trying to push it. And it's never... Whatever you can do to make it accessible, that's a job. And we'll cut this if you don't want to talk about it. But Please. the, I mean that I think that that does sort of summarize very very nicely sort of what the Schneider Center does, what your father was doing, um, and what we try and do at Karen. Quite famously, your father met some opposition. Oh yeah. Can we talk about that? Sure, we can talk about it. Again, it's just three weeks, so I prefer not to keep it as, as a negative as possible. I mean... I mean, so, I mean before you start, I mean... I don't, I don't, I, past I, it, as in, so it's a three weeks, but it's right. sort of the world... I, I, talk, about, I talk about it all the time. Um, obviously, we know today, maybe people don't like to hear it, but the reason there was opposition to my father based on, we were based on two things. One was financial. Completely <laughs> financial... I mean, there was a competition that wanted to publish the same concept of books. 
They knew if my father comes out first, he will win the market. It was very clear. They approached. My father was associated with Chabad and the Hasidic movement and approached people in that movement to create a negative campaign. Um, we have it actually documented by a variety of people who are not connected to us who told us to attest to this fact. Um, which is, again, I understand, business. Sadly enough, I, I went through it. It was not pleasant. Um, and that thing, he was Lubavitcher or close to the Rebbe and close to Lubavitcher, listen, in their mind. And it was a, a fair target. Not everybody in the Hasidic world behaved the way they were supposed to behave. I mean, my father was sacrificed as a sacrificial goat between Hasidic. They could have done better. But the idea, again, the concept, I asked my father, you know, it's obviously, I mean, if you open any of the competition, I presume between 25 to 30% is our material. If it's the way, whatever it is, it's very hard to define what it isn't, isn't what it is, what it isn't. So when I came back to Israel, I was a bit older, I asked my father, how come you didn't call a good group of lawyers? You know, you sue people for plagiarism. It's going to end up in court for three decades, maybe four. Nobody can make a decision. You drag it and drag it. You win the game. He turned to me, uh, scary as hell, and he's like, the entire purpose of what we do is to extend the understanding and learning of the Torah. Not my way, but that's what they do. End of conversation. There was a very famous incident. Um, <laughs> my father gave the longest-lasting Hasidic cheer in the land of Israel, as far as we know. He started when he was 23 and ended up when he was close to 80, I mean, when he had his stroke. And it was done, was done originally was done in the president's house, and he moved to uh, Ben Svi Synagogue, and eventually went to our center. So one day... Somebody forgot their own Talmud, which was not a standard Talmud. And one of the secretaries, it was, this is 11 o'clock at night, clearly I was not there, and he, and he said, you know, let's remove this because, you know, it's not respectful. And my father heard, and he said, they're all my stepchildren. That was his perspective on it. In the end, the more learning, the better it is. They asked me if that's the right way of doing it. Absolutely not. I wish they would never do that. I went through, as a child, it was a nightmare. I mean, we get phone call curses, screaming, nothing comfortable. But again, it's part of the, part of the politics, part of the game. Um, I can't tell you that I'm, I'm, I'm that peaceful about it. Usually this is not my, uh, my cup of tea, and I think it was wrong. I'm still waiting for apology. Probably will never get, but I'm still waiting. You know, maybe a decade or two. But I think, again, what is the goal? The goal is to extend the knowledge of Torah. Not everything is my way, and not everything is the way I like it. But the more we do, and the more we can extend it, and we actually show compassion, the better it is. What does it mean for you to be building the Steinzelt Center and to be continuing your father's legacy in this way and like kind of continue that without him as the figurehead for that? 
So it's very interesting as we are coming now to his birthday, which is this Friday, and uh, his Yorza, which is in two weeks. So I really feel that in the last uh, three years, I grew a lot. I don't think I will ever be able to really change it completely to be my center. That's something given that I'll be stuck with it. Maybe my kids or grandkids will be able to do better than this. But again, it's just a given. I think that A, his message of extending his idea of knowledge out is something that can last, I don't know, 150 years, 200 years. It's clearly always what else to do. He left such quantities of material that I'm really, if I want, and I'm not sure I do, but if I want to print a book every year for, for the foreseeing future, can be done easily. This is without anthologies, um, best of, and so on and so forth. I, I think that my father's mission of let my people know, which by the way, it's uh, the other side of the coin of better being Apicorus and Amaritz, mm. right? It's the same, just depending on which side of the coin you're flipping, is a true cause. It's my favorite, one of my favorite lines, mine, 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 is when Jews... <laughs> When Jews were in Mount Sinai, right? The famous line is Nase Venishma. But it's been 3,000 years. Now it's time to do a little Nishma. <laughs> you know, we do. We do. Everybody does. And, and thank God, you know, as the sages said, even Rashai Israel, we do mitzvahs 24 7. We don't even know how many mitzvot we do, right? There's opinion in, which I think it's great opinion for the three weeks, that's saying that any moment that you don't do negative, Commandment is actually doing a positive commandments. Now, true, obviously, if you're trying to kill somebody and you didn't, it's a higher level of doing the mitzvah, but I don't recommend anybody to go that way. So I think my father's vision of that idea of letting my people know, and more so, I think right now we're getting to the stage when it's not only teaching our people, teaching the people, the humanity, Standard is really not just the fact that Judaism was a major contributor to Western civilization, but we really can be still continue to add to the world around us. Those my father looked at these four elements: God, the world, the Torah, and the people. Right for, and you combine them together, you have something powerful. It's a it's a superfecta, you know. It's like everything is around that. If you believe in the world and the world is a good place to be, God is more apparent. If you believe in God is more apparent, Torah is more apparent. But I think that my father, first of all, is still hovering. I have, a, I have a, almost a life-size picture of him in my office. Um, I feel he yell at me all the time. Um, and he's, and he's, the prong, biggest problem about this man was not he was not, he was not urgent. It was not a, <gasps> you have to do now, but he's like, continue moving forward. But he really meant it. And the other thing, which is, I just realized it now, which is sadly enough, I should have realized it 20 years ago, he was not afraid of failures. You can fail. It's fine. You didn't manage to do all the goal together. But if you can do it, you can learn from it tremendously that you never, you don't feel afraid to fail. You fail, so what? So things don't work out the way you want. Try again. My father looked at it as the chopping of the wings. The, this uh, opposition my father had, 
a lot of people they will stop doing. They'll be terrified. My father, the exact opposite. He went to Russia to open a yeshiva, the first yeshiva in Russia, with the respect that everybody else was claiming. My father was there first, opened the first yeshiva under the Russian government. He published the first two volumes of French Talmud. He opened another branch of Makor Chaim High School. He, he really did it the opposite. I mean, we, and we look about it, what we have managed to accomplish again together with, with you guys at Koran, we published close to 200 titles the last 15 years, and we're not done yet. You know, the Rambam and Mishnah in English coming, and I'm sure there are, you know, there's a Siddur coming, and then there's the, the Seth Perk Shira are going to come, and, and we're going to have a few more small books, and we are doing. My father's spirit is live and burning. And again, for me personally, I think I'm always going to be his son. I mean, whatever I'm going to do is, is I was as a kid in God, and I was carrying the same story, right? When I got a good grade in school, the teacher said, of course you get a great school. You're your father's son. I got a bad grade in school. Oh, my God, how can you get a bad grade? Your father is. So you can win. So my job is to take his mission in life and make it successful, make it accessible, and make it available for everybody. I think you carry it very well. I, you know, it, I've heard you tell that story before about you know being in kindergarten, but I think you know you definitely carry uh, carry that mission uh, very well, and we're very grateful for the relationship we have with the Steinzot Center. Um, I think unless Ari has any more questions, that might be the perfect place to end. Um, he's motioning that he might have another question. I have another question, but we should end. Okay. Uh, for an, we'll have Mini back uh, on the podcast sure. sometime soon and Ari can ask his next question he'll write it down um, but thank you so much for joining us uh, sure. it's been a real pleasure um, my pleasure until next, until next time that's all we've got time for for this episode of the Corin podcast uh, obviously if you'd like to learn more about uh, Rav Steinsatz's books you can find them all on our website and now is a better time than any to pick them up using discount code podcast at checkout to get a discount on those books and any books you might order at the same time. Uh, if you'd like to get hold of us, you can reach us through email at podcast at quorumpub.com or on all the various social networks at Corin Publishers. And until next time, this has been the Corin Podcast.